All right, if you got your Bibles, Romans chapter 2, we're jumping into a brand new series today uh, called Change My Mind. And I don't know about you, but I, I'm not easily a person that easily has their mind changed. Like I, once I get an opinion about something, I'm kind of stuck on. And for years and years, one of those opinions was I hated coffee. Like it was horrible. I could not stand it. If I would go somewhere and I had a little coffee flavor into it, as much as I love chocolate, if it was chocolate and coffee, I was like, no way. I remember one day I went to Starbucks, ordered a frappuccino, a chocolate frappuccino, no coffee, made sure I said it the right way. And of course it came out, it was like a coffee chino. And I was like, no, this is wrong. And I like, took it back. And I, can, I just could not stand the taste of coffee. When, not long ago, not long after we had moved to the city, uh, we were out to dinner for my son PJ's birthday. And we were at a steakhouse in the city. And Katie ordered a cappuccino, my wife did. And she said, you should try this. And I was like, no, I've tried cappuccinos. I'm not. She was like, you really? She t- like, if you love me, try this. <laughs> like, and so I was like, all right. So I got it and I took one sip of this. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is this amazing goodness? I have never tasted anything quite like this before. And in that one sip, all of a sudden, my understanding and view of coffee shifted. Like I began to, I was like, all right, I can do cappuccino. Like, it's got like this much coffee and this much milk, and I'll throw in some sugar, and it was so good. And then I started to branch out. I like studied what, what's a macchiato, what's a cortado, like all these kind of, and now like, I am a straight up black coffee drinker. Like I can drink it without sugar, without milk. And last year, Jamal, one of our faith family members here gave me for Christmas, like this coffee subscription. I was like, oh my gosh, you know me so well. Like five years ago, I would have said that worst gift ever. But like, this is phenomenal. And it's amazing how new experiences, being willing to at least open your mind to a new way of thinking will change your perspective help you engage in something that you never engaged in before. And this is what we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks in this new series on Change My Mind. Because the truth is this, when you ask the vast majority of people what it means to be a Christian or a follower of Christ, they'll immediately start to talk about certain actions that we have to do, or we have to embrace or deny. They'll talk about certain beliefs that we have to adhere to. And while following Jesus will ultimately impact how you act and how you feel, the Apostle Paul teaches us that when we really submit to the teachings of Christ, we will first and foremost change how we think or change our minds. It will rewire and change our minds and impact the way that we think about everyday life and change our view of the world. I could have picked a ton of scriptures this morning, but I just want to throw a few of these out there to help you see very quickly what Paul talked about over and over again. Romans 12, 2, which is kind of the jumping board for this series, says, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on the things that are above, not on things of this earth. Ephesians 2, 23 and 24. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. 
and put on a new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. 2 Corinthians 10.5, we destroy arguments of every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. I mean, I could keep going. But these are the words of the Apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament reminding us, use your mind. Your mind is first and foremost how we're going to engage with the teachings of Christ. For far too long, we either have had the misunderstanding or been taught that being a follower of Christ means that you have to check your mind at the door. This is not only inaccurate, it's actually disobedient. One of the key markers of a follower of Christ is their ability to discern truth to make wise decisions, to identify weak arguments, and to refute the lies of the enemy. But for many people, they think that embracing salvation in Christ is simply ultimately doing one of two things. And the first one is this. It's just changing how I act, behavior modification, or some kind of moralism. We are just simply embracing, when we become Christians, a a new set of rules and regulations, trading one set of chains for another. The problem with embracing moralism without changing our mindset is that we will eventually use our old way of thinking to rationalize new behaviors that that we then attribute to a new identity in Christ. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. So if I don't think rightly about God, if I don't actually change how I think and begin to understand about God to put into practice what these verses just told us, then I will rationalize behavior that try to earn God's love and invoke his forgiveness instead of just stepping into it. So I'll be like, I got to earn, I got to do things. I I have this deficient mindset and I'll start trying to do things to make God love me instead of realizing that he already loves me. Or if I don't put my mind to the teachings of Christ and I don't rightly think about others, then I will start to rationalize, rationalize behavior to try to control them and force them into my way of living. And we've all seen this with different religious groups and even our own Christian circles of people trying to force and manipulate people into saying you have to become this. I mean, when new worlds were formed, you know, they took religion with them and tried to force people into a belief system. And that's without changing our mindset, we'll get caught up in behaviors like that. And then thirdly, if you don't have a right view or right thinking of yourself, you will begin to rationalize behaviors that either elevate or undervalue your own self-worth. You'll start thinking better of yourself than you should or lower of yourself than you should. This is how come so many people can come to so many different conclusions about what it means to follow Jesus because they're not allowing their mind to be changed. They're just trying to change what they do and they're filtering through their old thought patterns instead of new thought patterns and it's creating a God in their image instead of allowing God to shape them into his image. That's one of the mistakes we make. But the second mistake we make is thinking that following Christ, experiencing salvation will only change how I feel. It, I, it'll either limit some emotions or elevate some emotions in my life. We tell ourselves that following Christ means that there are certain things that I must feel and others that I can never feel. I have to always be happy and never be sad. I have to be calm and never angry. I have to be certain and never doubtful. The problem with embracing feelings without changing our minds is that with the same thing, we will eventually use our old ways of thinking to legitimize 
emotions that we then attribute to a new identity in Christ. And this creates an atmosphere of inauthenticity. Let me show you what I mean. Pain comes into our lives and we act like it doesn't hurt us. No, I'm good. I'm a Christian. I'm not supposed to feel pain. Doubts come into our lives and we act like we don't have questions. Betrayal comes into our lives and we act like we aren't angry. Anxiety creeps into our lives and we feel like it isn't, we act like it isn't crippling. Fear comes and we act like it isn't overwhelming. People see this and they know it's not real. We know it's not real. We feel like a fraud and it causes us to start to doubt ourselves and to doubt God. Following Jesus is not the removal or the elevation of certain feelings or the emotions. It is the submission of all of our emotions to a new way of thinking. This is why Paul is so adamant and so often reminds us that following Jesus must first and foremost impact how we think and must change our minds. And through the renewal and transformation of our minds, appropriate behaviors and appropriate feelings will naturally be rebirthed in our life. Christianity isn't a checklist of actions and attitudes. Instead, it is with this. When we began to produce the fruit of a new way of living and feeling because our mind has been transformed by the grace, peace, love, and hope of Jesus Christ. Hear that again. It is a product of the fruit being produced of living a new way and feelings in our life because our mind has been transformed by the grace, peace, love, and hope of Jesus Christ. It's not acting different and trying to feel different, hoping that something changes inside. It is allowing our mindset to be changed and shifted so that then appropriate actions and feelings come out. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some uh, of these mind shifts that we need to have, our change of minds that we need to have, and how Christ can transform our way of thinking. This new, impact, new mind will impact every part of who we are. And so this morning we're going to hit what I think is one of the most basic to who we are, one of the most fundamental mind shifts that have to happen in our life. And it's this idea, there's an old way of thinking, and the first thing that we often embrace is we become people that are judgmental or judgment. We embrace judgment in our life. This is a thought pattern that has been ingrained in us since birth. It is this thought pattern of judgment and condemnation. We've been taught if we do something bad, we should get something punishment in return. If we do something good, we deserve some kind of reward in return. We have been taught to judge how we act, how others act, and then respond accordingly. It is ingrained in who we are. It does not take long for us to realize how obvious this is in our life. Let me show you how ingrained this is in your life. I'm just going to pop some pictures up here. And as you see these pictures, there's going to be some immediate judgments that pop into your mind. Some of these pictures are going to make your blood boil. Some of them will be like comforting. Some of them will make you very tense. As you see these pictures, it, it, our minds immediately start having judgments about these people. Good, bad, legitimate, not. We can all have these ideas but I don't know about you, but as I was putting this together, as I saw this picture, my mind just immediately judged. I like this person, I don't. He's evil, he's not. She's this, she's that. We start to judge. And it is simply, we do this simply by seeing a picture of somebody. Imagine how much more we do it when we interact with people on a daily basis. Different people have different views and emotions of every person they encounter with. And we either move quickly to condoning somebody or condemning 
somebody. We don't just do this with other people. If I were actually to put a picture of you on the screen behind me this morning, we would probably have the same response toward ourselves. Maybe we would overemphasize our flaws and shortcomings and see nothing but a flawed, flawed, failed person. Or maybe we would gloss over our blemishes and our deficiencies and elevate ourselves above everybody else. This is not how we are to use our minds. And this morning in Romans 2, I want you to see this passage that Paul teaches us about how to change and how deadly and detrimental this kind of thinking is. Romans 2, 1 through 3 says this, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man or woman, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? I wish this passage was not in the Bible. I wish this passage did not ring so true in my life because I want to be very transparent and obvious with you, and I think it's probably true for you as well. What I often judge people the most of is usually what I struggle the most with as well. I see somebody else doing something in their life, and it's something I really want to change in my life, and instead of dealing with it in my life, it's easier to deal with it in their life. So I place judgment upon them. I bring judgment, and Paul is saying here, look, you got no excuse, those of you who are following Christ, because you have experienced the grace of God, and now you try to sit in judgment when you still struggle with the same things. I want you to see two things in this verse that Paul tells us of the dangers of embracing a mindset of judgment. And the first is this. A judgment mindset blinds us to personal weaknesses. It blinds us to personal weaknesses. When we have a judgment mindset, we start looking at everybody else and everything else, but we stop viewing and understanding our own personal weaknesses. We don't look internally because we're so focused on looking externally. The second thing it does is the judgment mindset blinds us to the power of God's grace. We see somebody messing up over and over again, going through trials that they should be overcoming by now, and we start to think that they, for some reason, are not worthy of God's grace. And we start withholding grace to their lives. And we start thinking, they've got to to make themselves better before God's going to do anything for them. And we start to blind ourselves to the power of God of God's grace. Grace is for me, but it's certainly not for that person. When we walk through this life with a judgment mindset, it will blind you. You will end up with a distorted view of yourself, of others, and of God. And this is why we must confront this mindset in our lives and change our minds and how we think. So what is a judgment mindset? What is it? A judgment mindset is thinking this. You and I have the ability to accurately discern and determine the worthiness of someone else based on our limited perceptions and interactions. That's what a judgment mindset is. I can look at you, and in my limited interaction with you, the the 45 minutes that I spend with you a week, or the six hours I spend with you at work every day, and and the one environment that I see you in, in that limited idea, I can discern and determine your worthiness and whether you should be judged poorly or fairly. That's what a judgment mindset is, is believing that our experience and points of view give us ultimate 
understanding. It is also the belief that we have the ability then to determine an accurate response based on only our knowledge and wisdom. So if I judge you to be, I think you're a liar, I think you're a, you know, lazy, I think you're this, I think you're whatever it is, not only can I accurately judge you, a judgment mindset says and tells me then that I have the ability to accurately determine the right way to respond to you, the right punishment, the right retribution, only using my wisdom and knowledge. In short, a judgment mindset does this. We make ourselves God. We make ourselves God. We, det- we say, I get to determine if you're good or bad, and if you're bad, you get this, and if you're good, you get this. Judgment is a mind game that we use, and here's what we do. We use it to make others look like less of a person and make me seem like more of a person. And so instead of dealing with my own deficiencies, instead of turning the look inside and dealing with where I am struggling, what I will do is I'll look at other people and push them down further so that it makes me look taller. That's the outcome of a judgment mindset. How does this show up in our life? How do we recognize when our mind is getting trapped in a judgment mindset? I think there's a couple things that show up all the time. Is one, we start to have an elevated view of sin in other people's lives. We see them, and instead of seeing them as a person, as a creation of God, we start seeing their deficiencies, and we start elevating their deficiencies. Every time I'm with them, instead of seeing how, how much of maybe they can help me or how much I can learn from them, I always walk away from them thinking, here's what they need to fix. Here's what's wrong in their life. It also creates this comparison between my righteousness and their righteousness instead of the righteousness of God. So I start comparing like, I'm certainly not as bad as this person, right? I mean, look at what they did. Look how they treated this person. and Look how they handled this situation. I did better than that, so I'm fine. Creates this comparison model. And then finally, it creates a superiority complex based on perceptions. And that's when I was talking about trying to push others down to try to gain elevation yourself instead of dealing with your own challenges. So what is the danger of this kind of mindset? I think it can create two things in our life. The danger of a judgmental mindset is this. The first, it creates a mindset of arrogance in our life. An arrogance that God never intended. If I think I have the ability to judge, then I'm eventually going to feel this way. Whatever I think, whatever I feel, however I act, they must be correct. If I believe that I have the ability to judge and discern right from wrong in somebody else's life and completely understand who they are and how I should respond to them, then eventually I'm going to justify everything in my life. I'll become the ultimate authority in my life. My way of thinking, my view of Christianity, my take on any topic will always be correct. You can argue with me all you want, but at the end I'm going to say, I'm right and you're wrong. You ever had an argument with those kind of people (laughs) that are just like, I don't care how much, they just never going to bend their will. Never going to change. That's an arrogance that we get caught up in. We get this idea, I'm not here to learn from anybody, I'm just here to teach everybody. Just here to give my opinion. We fall in love with our own mental prowess, and when we think we have these deep insights that nobody else has, and what this actually causes us to do is to lose the ability to do what we talked about for the last few weeks, which is the very simple things of that climate control series of loving God and loving other people. As soon as we embrace arrogance, as soon as we allow our judgmental mindset to create arrogance in our life, 
it becomes almost impossible to demonstrate love to God and love to others because we've become so self-centered. So the two greatest commands, we lose our ability to do those. The second thing a judgmental mindset puts into our life, created in our life, is this idea of isolation. Think about it, if you've ever had to sit in front of a judge. Uh, I did one time when I was had a speeding ticket when I was a kid. I think I told you this before. I was going 72 and a 40. It was not a good uh, chant. When, they, when the cops pulled me over, I thought I'd just get a ticket. But eventually, I had to go sit in front of a judge. And like, I, first time I'd ever been in a courtroom, and like the judge was way up high, way behind this bench. Like, you talk about like a thought. Like, I felt like he could just speak, and like, whatever he said immediately, you know, if he's like, 32 miles an hour, the speed limit, death penalty. And I'd be like, oh, my God, you know what I mean? It was just such a sense of authority in that room from his position and the isolation I had from him. And when we set ourselves up as judges, that's what we do. We create distance between us and other people. We stay unattached from them personally. We do the same thing that the judge does in the courtroom. We elevate ourselves and diminish others. We see their flaws and keep them at arm distance until they can fix themselves. And we end up alone and isolated, which causes us in the same problem we had when we embraced arrogance. If we're alone and isolated, you know what we have a problem doing? Loving God and loving others. Following the two greatest commandments. This is why this mind shift has to, has to come. Because this judgmental attitude is going to lead us to one of those two places. And if you're honest with yourself, when you look back, when this has motivated your life, you probably can quickly tell which one of those you default to. Isolation or arrogance. Which brings me to a question, and a question I had to ask myself this week. Why do we do this then? Why do we judge? If we know that's where it leads us. I mean, we can recognize the signs of a judgmental mindset. What I just shared with you was nothing new. You're like, yeah, I, I elevate the sins of other people. I get in this comparison mode. I like to be viewed as superiority. And I, I can even see the, the detriment of it, like that I do get arrogant or I do get isolated. But why do we do this? Why do we often default to this way of thinking with ourselves and even with others? I think it comes down to one major issue, and it's fear. Fear. What do, you, what do we fear? I think we actually fear that God's grace really is not enough for me. I think we fear that God's forgiveness is not really available to me. We fear that God's peace will never fully be realized in my life. We fear that in the end, God is out to condemn me and judge me and is against me and the rest of humanity. And it's up to me to make sure that I'm at least in the top half of people when it comes judgment time. Hopefully the top third. Maybe I can make the top 10%. Like, you know, so I'm working to do that. When it comes to the final cut, I fear at the end, God's not going to choose me for his team. I remember growing up playing kickball on the playground. If you've ever had this, you know, where two captains are picked, everybody else is standing there like a lineup. You know, everybody's a criminal. Like, who are you going to pick? And like they start, you know, the obvious first two choices are the best players, you know, and it gets down and then we're in that middle ground. You're just, please pick me in the middle, like just in the middle. I'll be happy. I don't, you know, fine. And then it gets down to like four people left. You're like, just don't let me be one of the last two standing there. And there's nothing quite like that feeling when it's the last two people there. And you see the captain's like disgusting, like, 
I'm not sure I want either one of these, you know. It's like, and then they finally pick, so I, I remember days like this in elementary, like when you're like, please just don't let me be the last one. Because the devaluing that happens with that is just, it's weighty. And we think that's the way God is working it out with us. Like he's going to, at the end of time, whenever we stand before him in judgment, he's going to be like, you know, do I really want this person on my team? You know, is Patrick, did he do enough? Is he, is he got enough giftedness from, do, am I, can I put him to work here in heaven? What's he going to do for me? And we get this idea and we fear that his forgiveness is not there, his peace is not for us, his grace is not for us. And I look down at myself and I think the worst about myself. And this fear can impact how we view God and ourselves. And I think it does a couple of things. One is this. It can make us doubt the existence of God. Because when we think this way, none of it makes sense. None of it makes sense. Many of us have grown up with this set of ideas. God created me, right? We've heard that. God expects me to do what he says. We've been taught that, many of us from an early age. God said it, so you better do it. But I have this natural tendency to do other things. It's not like one day I woke up and be like, I hate you, God. I'm going to do everything against you. We just have this natural tendency sometimes to do things that aren't what God tells us to do. So he gets mad at me and he punishes me. And I must live my whole life trying to get back in his good graces. It seems like if this is true, he created this whole problem himself. He should have just made me to do whatever he wants me to do or not get angry at me for doing the things that feel natural to me. So maybe, just maybe, this is some made-up system that people created to control and manipulate other people. Maybe God's not real at all. If that was how I understood God to be, I would come to the same conclusions. It doesn't make sense. Why would God create us to just fail over and over again? But this type of thinking is based on an inaccurate understanding of who God has revealed himself to be. Most of that understanding that I just said is what man has told us about God, not what God has told us about himself. This type of view is a man-made God that can be twisted to manipulate and control. It's a God that people can use to justify horrible behaviors by those in power while exercising extreme punishment upon those that are vulnerable and marginalized. But the God of the Bible is something completely different. Yes, this God, he did create you. But he did not create you to be a slave. He created you to have a relationship with you. He created you to experience an abundance of joy and hope. In his creation, he gave you everything you could ever need. Everything you could ever need or want. And the most important thing that he gave to you was choice. Was choice. He gave us the ability to choose to love him, to choose them to love others, because that is the ultimate gift a creator can give to his creation, the ability to choose. And in that gift, we have the ability to sometimes choose something other than him, to try to satisfy our needs in ways that, completely, that won't completely fulfill us. But here's the amazing thing about our God, that he has revealed over and over and over again. Even when we don't choose him, he doesn't get angry. Instead, he expresses love to us again by always being ready to restore and redeem us back to a relationship. He's always trying to draw us back into relationship, not to punish, but to connect. 
Jesus summed up the character and nature of God in two simple verses that when we grasp them, will transform the way we think about who God is and how he relates to us. Listen to these. You've heard some of them before. John three sixteen and 17 say this. For God what so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. Listen to verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God's reaction to us choosing something other than him is not anger or condemnation. Instead, it causes him to make a bigger demonstration of his love. Listen to this. God does not overwhelm you with his judgment. God overwhelms you with his love. With his love. But there's a second thing that having this judgment or this fear can cause us to have, and it's this. Not only sometimes can we doubt there's a God, but second, we doubt that we have the inherent worth to be loved by our own creator. We doubt that we are even worthy of love. Well, some may end up doubting the existence of God, many of us instead cast the doubt upon ourselves. We look into the mirror, we delve into the heart, to our hearts, we see into the brokenness of our nature, we see the corruption of our souls, and we believe that if others really knew me, there is no way they could love me. And we hear verses about God knowing everything about us, how he judges the inside, not the outside, and it wrecks us. It just wrecks us. Because we think, if I can't hide anything from God, then there is no way that he can love me. This inadequate view of ourselves comes from this transactional mindset that we have with God. It's this idea that I must offer him something to get his love and acceptance in return. We create scorecards and balance sheets in our spiritual lives. We believe we have this deficit with God that we must somehow overcome every day. Seems like every good day we have, then it's followed by two bad days. For every season of obedience and submission in our life, there seems to be just as many seasons of rebellion. We can never get the score in our favor, so it creates this sense of unworthiness and condemnation. But the Apostle Paul tells us otherwise. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says this, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. If you don't hear anything, there is no condemnation through Christ. But you don't, you don't know what... No. There is no condemnation. Condemnation is not a tool that God uses to motivate us, and it isn't a tool that we get to use on ourselves either. What God is doing in our life is not condemnation, but sanctification. Sanctification is this beautiful process of small steps of journeying to become, in our heart, becoming more and more like the heart of God. God's expectation is not that from day one, when we embrace salvation, that we become completely like God, Jesus Jr. That's not the way he tells us over and over again in Scripture. He says, continue to work out your salvation. Allow the truth of God to penetrate your heart, to grow daily. It's a step-by-step process. I want you to hear this. The power of God is not most is the power of God is most displayed in the journey of our salvation, 
not in the destination of our souls. The power of God is not that we get to be to heaven one day. There is power in that. But the ultimate and the more, more powerful view of God is in the journey day to day. The power of God is most displayed in the journey of our salvation, not the destination of our souls. So that's the old way of thinking. There's a new way, something we should embrace, and the new way of thinking is encouragement. We set down judgment, and we pick up encouragement. If we're supposed to set that aside, what do we begin to chase with our minds? Because changing our minds is not simply removing the old, it is replacing it with a new way of thinking. And in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he uses a verse, a passage, that really challenges us with his new way of thinking, and we'll end with this. Ephesians 4, 29-32 says this, Let no corrupting talk which is judgmental, come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, which is encouraging, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit or God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath, anger and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Paul shows us here how to remove judgment, this corrupting talk, and replace it with encouragement, this building up talk. But to do this, we actually have to desire to want to let go of our judgment mindset. And we have to have a devotion, give it time to get out and let a new mindset come in. And we have to depend on God to do this. So what he says here is this. You are going to feel bitterness and wrath. Others are going to do things to harm you. We will have every right to be bitter and wrathful, but we have to choose a different way, which is kindness. Kindness. Kindness is not excusing behavior. It's just not responding in the same way. Paul tells us it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Whatever a picture I showed you earlier that made you feel bitter and wrathful, whoever's picture popped up there that just got your blood boiling, imagine how you could change by responding to that person in kindness. Because here's what kindness is. Kindness is the key to open somebody's heart. Whoever got your blood boiling, whoever you're, that bitterness and wrath, you know what I would most, for who that is for me, the thing I would like most is to see their life changed. To see their life shift. Not be destroyed, but to shift. And kindness opens the door to their heart. Second thing is, you will feel anger and clamor. These two words means that we will want to begin to create distance between ourselves and other people and start to step into that trap of isolation. But encouragement responds with us being tender-hearted. Tender-hearted. This means that we begin to try to understand the other person. One of the biggest ways you defeat judgment in your life is to try to grow your understanding of the person you're being judgmental of. Why are they like this? What caused them to have this point of view? What caused them to act this way? If we aren't tenderhearted to someone, then our anger and clamor will do nothing but grow. Tenderheartedness is this. It is the ointment for the healing of our hearts. If kindness is the key that opens it, being tenderhearted, beginning to try to understand them, is the ointment that will begin to bring healing. And finally, it says this, you will feel like responding in slander and malice. We long to repay evil with evil, to make others feel the pain that we felt, 
to make them understand what they did and the folly of their ways. But a changed mind does not bring judgment or condemnation. Instead, it brings forgiveness. Forgiveness diffuses the bomb. It extinguishes the fuse. Forgiveness is the water on the fire instead of the fuel on the fire. And here's what forgiveness does to our hearts and their hearts. Forgiveness is the soil for restoration in our hearts. It begins the process. Once healing, once being tenderhearted can begin healing, forgiveness allows new fruit to grow. Your enemy becomes your friend. Someone who you couldn't stand to be around, you at least understand and maybe can have compassion and want God's grace for in their life. I'll be very clear, none of this is easy. But changing our minds will bring about a change in our actions and feelings if we'll take that step. So my question for you today is this. Are you ready to stop being the judge? Are you ready to stop? Will you put down your gavel, step out from behind the bench, and let go of judgment and instead embrace encouragement? Will you stop judging yourselves and others and instead let the healing work of Jesus invade your life through encouragement? Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me? I know these are tough words. They're tough actions to follow. And for me to just get up here and say, stop judging and start encouraging people, it wouldn't work for us. It's not just an action change, it's a mindset shift. And it'd be my prayer for us this morning that we would open our minds to a new way of thinking. That we would take every thought captive that we would find weak and feeble arguments in our own minds and we would push away judgment. And even when we've been wronged, when we've been hurt, when we can see no good in someone else, we would take on the mind of Christ. The mind that says every person can be a recipient of God's grace. Every person is hurt and in need of healing. Every person in the depths of their soul is desperate to fix their brokenness. God, help us today to stop playing the role of judge. This afternoon, tomorrow, this week, when we want to pick up that gavel and we want to sit behind that bench and pronounce judgment and point out flaws, God, will you remind us to change how we think, to set that down, to step away from arrogance and isolation, step back toward encouragement, to find ways to show kindness, to be tenderhearted, to be forgiving. Would you allow those three things to resonate in our mind this week, to take root in our mind and change how we think? And let us be known as people of kindness because that's what you are. Let us be known as people that are tender-hearted toward others because that's the way you approached us. God, let us be people of forgiveness because we have bathed in your forgiveness as your followers, and we do every day. And you are great, and greatly to be praised. And allow your greatness and that mindset that you want in us to set aside judgment and to embrace encouragement.